Good morning, everybody. Welcome once again to our regular Sunday morning date together here at the Digital Cathedral. Glad you're with me. It's always good to welcome people from around the world. Some people see this the next day after we set this up because they live in Australia or other parts of the world. So it's always good to welcome those of you that are coming in regardless of what time that it is. I'm glad you're with me. And I just thank God for the community that we have built and that is still building around the world together on every continent in the world. I think we have people that view this from all the way around the globe entirely. So you're part of something that's not just like a local church, you're part of a, a uh, digital community that is worldwide. I think that's pretty, pretty awesome and pretty exciting. All right, if you have your Bible this morning, uh, grab it and turn to 2 Peter. I want to begin 2 Peter chapter 1. I have a brand new Bible this morning. I usually try to change out Bibles, versions, every oh, so often because every version of the Bible carries with it a little bit of prejudice, a little bit of theological prejudice of the translators. So I find, I find that it's good over the years I've used, I don't know, seven or eight different translations. I kind of got hung up on my New King James. The, probably all of you seen it, the little, the, the burgundy colored covered Bible that I always use. And I use that for several years, so much so that I, I got to know by memory a lot of the verses and the way that they read in the New King James. So this past week, I felt prompted to get a New American Standard. I've never used the New American Standard in a lot of, um, in a lot of cultures. In a lot of settings, they feel that this is probably the most authentic of all of the translations. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. We're going to find out. So I ordered a New American Standard, so I'm using that, and I'll be using it for a while. And already I've seen some difference in the nuances in some of the verses and a little bit different wording. So it's got me studying out word origins a little bit more than I even did in the New King James because I got to rely on the New King James. So I'm reading the New American Standard. reason I'm telling you this is for a couple of reasons. Because if you follow me in the New King James, it's going to read a little bit different, New American Standard. Probably 90% of it's going to read the same, but there are some changes. Second of all, I'm not, I'm not familiar with this Bible. With my, with my New King James that I had for, gosh, I used it, must be 10, 12, 14 years. I could almost open it to a book because I knew it so well. I could almost open it to a book without, without even thinking. And now I find with this one I've got this week and I've been studying with it and using it in preparation for what we're doing this morning. I have found a couple of things. First of all, the pages stick together. So if, you know the magic Bible turner, right? It's, lick your finger and then the Bible page turns. These pages are sticking together and they're not easy to turn. So if you see me do that a few times, I apologize to you. I gotta, I gotta break this baby in. So we'll be working at it. So anyway, if you wanna follow me on your phone or whatever, it's the New American Standard Version Bible. All right, let's read 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 12 to just kind of set the trend for where we wanna to go today. Peter says this, he said, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Boy, there's nothing wrong with being reminded of truth. The more that truth settles into you, the deeper the roots go. Man, we found out that was true in religion, didn't we? That a lot of the, the roots that went deep were not roots we wanted to go deep. And it's hard to pull those roots out 
after a period of years, but the more that truth gets settled in, and he, he defines what that truth is in the rest of the verse, he said, I'll always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, even though you're already familiar with it, and have been established in the truth which is present with you. To be established in the truth which is present with you. So evidently Peter is saying the more that you hear the truth that is present with you, there is a present truth that God is speaking to all of us today. Some truth he speaks individually, some speak, truth he speaks corporately. And uh, Peter is making mention of the fact that there is uh, this present truth that we need to be established in. So the question is, what is the present truth for this hour that God is speaking corporately around the world? What is it that has drawn us and gravitated us together? Over the years, the message has shifted a little bit. It started with just simply grace, radical grace, pure grace, hyper grace. And from there, we begin to find that we discovered other truths. And those then became the present truths for us. So there is a present truth that I'm on, and I feel really strongly about it, and I think that it affects all of us that are connected as one man in the body of Christ. I think there is a revealing and unveiling that is coming about of, and what the scripture calls, the manifestation of the sons, and I'll add, daughters of God. Uh, I've been teaching from 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 for almost 20 years. And out of the New King James, it says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. And then here's the part that I've been teaching on for 20 years. Because as he is, so are we in this present world. That as he is, so are we in this present world is the present truth that I think is being settled into the body of Christ. And man, that, that takes off in so many, with so many branches, so many dimensions, as we make the discovery as he is. Way back in the early 90s, I, I, I taught for an entire year on that one verse. And I, I had no idea of grace. I have no idea of the things that I know today or teach today. But I just simply spoke to my church uh, about how Jesus is. We knew that Jesus is forgiving. Jesus is loving. I mean, I just went on week after week with how he is. And then just applied it to us that we should be the same way that Jesus is. Now I'm taking that down to another level. I'm seeing that not only should we emulate him, that was back when WWJD was, was popular, what would Jesus do? We asked ourselves, okay, what would Jesus do? Because I want to be like him. Now we're discovering that the life of Jesus in our life is really one life. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory, and that was the great revelation of Paul. There is a present truth today that I think is exploding in the body of Christ, and it is the idea of being a manifested son or daughter of God and then demonstrating that, walking it out in the earth. Um, the early church fathers did a tremendous job on teaching us about being Christocentric, about being Christ-centered in what they do. And it seems like uh, the early church fathers, the few, first few hundred years of church development, took extra care to make sure that Jesus had centrality in the message and that people didn't run off in a lot of different directions. There were a lot of heresies that, what they called heresies that uh, arose during that early period of the church. But I have tremendous respect for the early church fathers in making sure that, that Jesus was cemented, that the Christ was cemented in everything that we do in our thought patterns. 
Then along came the 1900s in what was called the Azusa Street Revival. Maybe some of you have read about it with uh, Seymour and others that began to get a revelation of the Holy Spirit and the works of the Holy Spirit. And there was an outpouring in the 1900s in, in Azusa Street in California that I think went deeper and certainly spread a lot farther than even the day of Pentecost. So we had, we had then the Holy Spirit begin to come to light. We had the centrality of Jesus being Christocentric message from the early church fathers. And what I see happening today is that the Spirit of Truth is bringing things together. He's gathering up truths from early church fathers. He's gathering up truths that have come down through the ages. He's, he's brushing off a lot of things that weren't right, that weren't correct, that needed adjusting. And he's bringing this all into focus and teaching us and revealing to us that we can begin to manifest and do the work as, as a son of God, as, as being Jesus in the earth today. And I know that's probably strong meat for some of you that are just coming into the digital cathedral, but it's not your life that you're living. It's Christ who lives in you. Your life is his life. His life is your life. There's one life and it's his life. And as we learn to live that life, we'll manifest as sons of God. So I've, I think we've come into a season that the Spirit of Truth is bringing everything together from the last several hundred years, I mean, almost 2,000 years, is bringing it together and is showing us glimpses and is beginning to reveal to us what this ought to look like as we bring this truth together and then begin to, to demonstrate it. I don't think there's any question that we've learned that our authentic identity is divinity, that we are truly partakers of the divine nature. Not long ago, it, it, it wouldn't even have been 20 years ago that if you would have told someone that their authentic identity was divinity, they, they would have called that heresy. Now, because of what the Spirit of Truth has, has shown to us, we embrace that. And that makes us as he is in this world. In Romans chapter eight and verse 19, and I want to read this out of the uh, out of the New American Standard because it does it does word it just a little bit different than the New King James. So again, bear with me as I get the pages on this rascal broken in. Romans chapter eight and verse nineteen says this. Nineteenth verse, eighth chapter, for the anxious longing of the creation, anxious longing. Uh, I think the New King James says uh, that all creation groans and travails, right? So there's an anxious longing for the creation waiting eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. All creation is looking for the revealing of the sons of God. And, and the word sons there, if you've been with me over a period of years, we've done some word studies on uh, levels of sonship. And the level of sonship here is the word weas, it means mature son. All of creation is looking for the revealing. They're anxiously longing. I, I like the way the NASB puts this. They're anxiously longing uh, for the revealing. And the New King James says, for the manifestation. I like revealing. I like revealing because it is a process. Manifestation can be a process, but I think revealing really hits that on the head. So as, as we mature, the, the more we mature, the more we reveal, right? So as you and I are maturing, the revealing of who we are, who we've always been, begins to emanate from us. It's a presence we carry. It's a posture. It's, it's a lifestyle. 
And that's what I want to talk about over the next two or three weeks. It's the, it's the manifestation, the revealing of the sons of God. It's going to take me two, maybe three weeks. And the way I'm starting out this morning, it's going to be a three-week process. And what I would like to do is, is to confine this to two areas. I'd like to talk about the walk of a manifested son of God, how it fleshes out, uh, the work that a manifested son does. And then second of all, I'd like to talk about how a man, manifested son thinks, the mind of a manifested son of God. So here's, here's my goal over the next three weeks, two, three weeks. Let's say three weeks. It's going to go three. I want to put in a very condensed in a very condensed fashion so that you're able to look at it and get your head around how a manifested son of God lives, how he demonstrates himself, and how he thinks. I think we're going to uncover some interesting things. So don't, don't disconnect with me over the next three weeks, this week and two, two weeks more, because we're going to lay this out for you in such a way that you're going to be able to understand what a manifested son of God looks like, how you, how you are revealing yourself and how your mind is developing in this process. Paul said it a little bit different over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. 2 Corinthians verse 3 and 6 in the, in the New King James, it says that he has made us able ministers of the new covenant. In the NASB, it says that he has made us able servants of the new covenant. And the word that is used there is actually the word diakonos, the English word deacon. So I think, I think servant is, is really accurate, although what a minister is, as we're going to discover in just a minute, what a minister is, is actually a servant. So he has made us able servants or ministers of the new covenant. Who are those that are going to effectively minister this new covenant? Who are those that are going to be able to walk in the kingdom that we're bringing into the earth? As, as heaven invades earth, who is... Who are the vessels through which the invasion will take place? Well, I think there's only one, one answer we can come to from Scripture, and that is through the manifested or the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. Now, when I look at everything going on in our world today, I mean, what a world we live in. Who, who would have thought in, in 2019 that 2020 would have brought us all the unexpected changes that we have come through? I think with everything going in in our world today, that there has never been, at least in my lifetime, there has never been a more opportune time for a radical advancement of the kingdom of God, of the, of the new covenant. Kingdom is new covenant. New covenant is kingdom. They're, they're pretty much synonymous. And we're the ones that will usher it in. I don't think there has been in my lifetime, and I'm, I'm older than probably most of you watching at the Digital Cathedral, that there has been a better opportunity for us to begin to manifest, to reveal ourselves as sons in God. It's time to come out of the closet. We didn't share the gospel back in our, our religious days because honestly, it was kind of embarrassing. It wasn't that much good news, was it? I mean, to set somebody down and tell them either you pray this prayer and make this confession or you're gonna burn in hell. Um, I always felt awkward doing it. I, I used to go on the streets with the, the outreach team and witness, but I always felt I, I never enjoyed it. I, I felt like it was an obligation. But what I find with this message that you and I are, are learning is that I enjoy sharing it because it's good news. It's good news from start to finish. And all the way through, it's nothing but good news. In fact, it, there's no bad news in the good news. 
If you're still clinging to a message that has any residual of bad news, you haven't stepped over into the gospel. And the things we're talking about over the next two, three weeks, they're going to come out of you, man. I'm telling you right now, as you learn how to walk and to think as a manifested son, and this is going to be so simple, so simple, you're going to grab it. As you do that, it's going to become a joy to you. It's not an obligation to share, to share the message. So I think that this is a day that you and I are living in, the most exciting days that, that the earth has ever seen. I think this is a day that previous generations have pointed to, have pointed to. They've talked about the coming of Jesus. I'm talking about the coming of the Jesus within you to this world. I'm talking about heaven actually invading earth. I'm talking about everything that, that has been longed for and looked for, we're beginning to see materialize today. I like, I like uh, the fact that we're, we're not in this alone. This is, a, this is a relatively new understanding of mine, but in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one, my page turner, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one, my page is taken, it says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witness surrounding us, there is a cloud of witnesses that are surrounding us, I, I, and they're cheering us on. Somebody made a comment, on, I think it was last week's message on the YouTube comments. What, what is this cloud of witnesses? I'm not familiar with that. Well, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, you will find all the heroes of the faith. Many of them are unnamed. They are people that were fed to lions, that were burned alive, that were sawn in half. Think about that. They, were, they wandered in caves. They had no country. They were, the, they, were, they were the ones that carried the gospel forward. And I'm not going to take time to go through Hebrews 11, but I, you should go through that. I call it the Hall of Faith. It, it, it ends up in Hebrews 11. Then it says, verse 12, therefore, or the conclusion is, since we have such a great a cloud of witnesses, the cloud of witnesses are all of those in Hebrews chapter 11 that carried, that carried the message that you and I are proclaiming today, that carried it forward, and, and in addition to those saints that have died ahead of us and have gone on before us. Now the word cloud in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 is a, is a word that signifies... Um, the attenders in a stadium that are way up at the very highest level, like in the clouds. If, I can't remember the Greek word for that, but I did a study on that one time, and I was amazed at what it actually meant. It meant those that are seated in the highest highest realms of the stadium. We, we would call it the nosebleed section, right? So what this is saying is that you and I, when we walk out into life every day, that there's a stadium full of people. Have you ever gone out in the morning, just looked around and go, wow, there's a stadium of, of previous generations all the way back to Hebrews 11 that are cheering us on. And I think you and I are the recipients today of what they were looking forward to and what they have been cheering for for generations. So he says, since this is happening and this cloud of witnesses is around us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Generations have been running, have been running this, this race with tremendous endurance. And now you and I have picked up with the greatest revelation in history, more is being poured out today, I think, than at any time in history. I mean, it would have to be that way. If, if we don't have 
greater understanding and more revelation than past generations all the way back to the days of Paul, then I would say the spirit of truth is not doing his job. And we know that the spirit of truth is doing his job. Every generation has received a little bit more light. Now, today it's exponentially being released and we're making, we're making quantum leaps and bounds never before witnessed on the face of the earth. And you're part of it. I think that's, I think that's exciting. We have a wonderful covenant that's packed with tremendous promises that have been signed, sealed, and delivered. So now our job as we manifest, and I'm just, I've still got you to 30,000 foot level. I haven't started breaking it down yet. Our job as we manifest is really twofold. First of all, we need to let people know that they are already in the kingdom, that the kingdom is within them. They might not understand it. They might not realize it. They may not uh, understand it, but the kingdom is within them. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't look here, don't look there. And he was speaking uh, pre-cross, pre-resurrection, right? He said, the kingdom is within you. And he was speaking to people before the cross. The kingdom is within you. First job that we have to do, because it's been so diluted, so put out of, out of uh, people's minds that the kingdom is within them. They've never heard that before. All they've heard in church is that one day they will die and go to the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is within you. Matthew uses heaven because he's specifically speaking to Jews, but when you get into Mark and Luke and the same scriptures are quoted, it speaks kingdom of God, not kingdom of heaven. And Matthew's just making a delineation because of the audience he's speaking to. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven is within you. That's the first thing we need to awaken people to. The second thing we need to awaken people to is their authentic identity. They need to know who they've always been. They have no clue about that. And I, I spoke the last two weeks to you about a false identity that has been imprinted on the, on the lives of people, and that is that edemic thing, that they were born with an edemic nature. That gave them, right from the get-go, the wrong identity. And we've never recovered from that. Church never recovered from that. Church has clung to that and kept that out front. So we need to begin to think about how we manifest and how we think as manifested sons of God. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Couple questions. When you hear the term manifested sons of God, what do you think of? What do you see in your, your mind's eye? What kind of imagination comes, comes to the surface when you hear the term, the revealing of the sons of God or the manifestation of the sons of God? Do you think in your, in your heart of hearts that being a manifested son of God is for everybody or is it just for an elite few, a select few? You know, those that have a, a platform ministry, those that have influence over other people in larger numbers. Is it just for them to manifest? Is this just, is this just a, you know, a superstar ministry? Third question is, what, what do, fourth question, what do manifested sons of God do? What do you think they do? How, how, do they, how do they live out this message? We hear it all the time. Well, we need all of creation is looking for the manifestation of the sons of God. But what the heck do they do? What do you think they do? I'm just asking. And the last question I want to ask you, and this is so important, is how do you begin to be a manifested son or daughter of God? How does this manifest, manifestation begin to take place, right? How does, how does it begin to unfold? I, I just whipped out five questions that I have spent hours and hours and hours thinking about, pondering about, studying, reading, uh, 
visualizing. Because I feel that my call is to manifest all that I can as a son of God and then impart that to others that they also can manifest. It's like Paul to Timothy and Timothy to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. I think there's, I think there's a, a line here that's moving and you're at the front of the line. You're in the first wave of this. So the things that we're learning, we're learning together and I'm learning just as fast as I can learn, as fast as I'm able to you know, assimilate it into my knower and get, get a handle on it and feel like that I'm, I'm, I'm living it, walking it, uh, I'm dispensing it. I used to have the, the uh, saying like everybody, you should practice what you preach. Not, now I have a saying that I only, I only preach what I practice. So it limits down what I can teach. I'm seeing a lot of things that I'm not teaching yet. A lot of things. Uh, it's exploding on the inside of me, to be honest with you. And it all comes back to grace. It all started with grace back there in 2003, 2004. And there's a lot of people just coming in that wave, still coming in that wave, and will continue to for, for probably several generations until eventually every man goes to his neighbor and says, know the Lord, and they will all say, we already know him. We've already got the message. We already know who we are. We're already manifest. We're already living the message out. So it, it all began with that, but I've spent a lot of time with this and I, I've seen, I'm seeing a lot of things I'm not teaching just because I, I wanna make sure that it, that it rings and, and that we can, we can demonstrate it because of what I feel my, my position is, my job is. I feel that my job, honestly, is to put out material, teach, uh, to explain, to get it out there. Uh, I, I'm so glad God took me out of a building because a lot of my time was taken up in so many different areas. Not that I didn't enjoy it. I enjoyed it and loved it for years. But there came a time when I knew that my job, what my position was in the body of Christ and what I, I'm, supposed, I'm supposed to put out content, more content, more content. I'm supposed to study, read, so that I can keep passing it on and to meditate and spend time with the Lord just by myself. So I, that's what I do. So when, when I'm done with these three sessions, these, this three weeks worth of teaching, I want you to be able to click your phone off or shut your computer down and have confidence that that next morning when you walk out into the world, you're gonna demonstrate what a manifested son of God looks like, that you'll be able to manifest the message. So we're gonna look at three areas in the life of the human side of Jesus that he demonstrated that he act absolutely had. And you have every one of these as well. You may not be aware of some of the things I'm talking about, especially if you're new with the Digital Cathedral, but just hang with us, stay with me. Uh, if, you're, if you're new here, you're picking up on what a lot of us have been trekking through for several years now. So don't feel bad if some of it just kind of moves over your head, don't feel bad about that. Just keep, let, let it, let it crock pot, let it simmer, let it cook in for a while because you're, you're part of the wave. And that cloud of witnesses is cheering you on big time. I'll tell you for sure. They're cheering you on big time. Three things that will move us upward in our consciousness, in our consciousness. And as you move upward in your consciousness, it will feed seeds to your subconsciousness. And what's fed into here is going to begin to grow. All right. So I'm, I'm developing your conscious awareness of some things. Now, before I get into those, 
as we talk about manifesting as the Son of God, there is an attitude that Jesus carried that overrides all of this that we have to have. If this, if this doesn't come to us, then everything else that I'm going to say is, doesn't really matter. It's not going to fit. It's not going to work. There's an attitude that Jesus carried. And this must be our attitude also. And this is, this is going to separate the men from the boys. This is going to separate the mature from the immature. It's found in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Now listen to this, because this, this has got to be your attitude. As we come into to learning this, and I'm going to teach you some serious deep truths the next three weeks. And here's what I, I know that the Spirit of God is working this in you, because this is the attitude of, of the prototype, the patterned Son of God. He felt like this. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served. Those of us here at the Digital Cathedral, it's not our objective in life to be served. That was not Jesus' objective. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom. That means you're willing to pay a price to set others free. See, I'm paying a price to set you free. You're paying a price to set others free. I, I, I pay a price in time. I could be doing a lot of other things. I could be, you know, I could get a golf cart and ride around my community over to the golf course and, you know, have lunch at the country club. I could do all those things. I don't. I, I don't do that because I'm paying a price. I'm paying a ransom to set people free. And so that to get the ransom, I've got to accumulate what the ransom represents, which in this case is revelation and, and knowledge, right? Because that's what brings us out. So there has to be this attitude that overrides us that we have come not to be served, not to have great accolades put on us. We don't need pats on the back. We don't need attaboys. We don't need a lot of likes on our Facebook posts to, to feel uh, secure. We don't need uh, affirming comments from a lot of different directions. You see, this separates the mature from the immature. This separates those that get offended easily from those that are unoffendable. Jesus was unoffendable. When you come, I'll say this, when you come to serve people, look, you're, you're going to be used. And in some cases, you're going to be abused. People aren't always going to treat you with the greatest respect. In, in a lot of areas, they're going to look down on you and they're going to take advantage of you. If, you've, if, you're, if you serve, you're going to be taken advantage of. I mean, the waitresses at a restaurant, I mean, they're abused by the general public. People make demands on them, want them to do things that, that their, you know, their company doesn't want them to do, changing menus and substituting this for that and don't charge me for this and we, do I have to pay an upcharge for another plate? I mean, you know, these poor waitresses, but they are there to serve and, and to help, right? That's, that's their job. And in order for Jesus to do that, and in, able, in order for us to do that, we got to die to self. Jesus had to die to self. Jesus, listen to me carefully, Jesus gave himself for mankind way before he ever was crucified on the cross. He gave himself for people way before he was ever nailed to the tree. The co-crucifixion that you and I, some of you are not going to like this, the co-crucifixion that you and I will go through with Jesus begins with dying to ourself. Dying to ourself. 
uh, it's illustrated uh, in, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Romans chapter 6, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. It says this, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. Now, Jesus was, when Jesus was water baptized, it was, it was symbolic of him dying to himself, of his, of his flesh death, okay? When you, when you were co-crucified with Jesus, you actually were baptized with Jesus. We don't hear that too much, but you, you, were, you were buried with him through baptism into death. What was the death that you were baptized into? See, it's, it's symbolic, the baptism of going into the grave. What went into the grave? Your self-life, your, 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 your right to claim anything, your rights, your privileges. Those things died. Now, does that mean you can't enjoy life? Does that mean you, you no, none of that. What I'm saying is there, is there is an attitude, there is a motivation. If we're to manifest as sons of God, which the prototype son demonstrated so beautifully throughout his life, that he voluntarily gave his life to people before he ever went to the cross. So what, what you'll see in, in your life, in, in, and I see in my life, is that I have to give myself to people. I have to allow myself sometimes to get more questions to answer than what I really want to. I would rather go watch a movie on, uh, you know, a Netflix with my wife than answer the questions I'm getting on Messenger or through, um, you know, text message. People message me questions and want answers to it. You know, study it out for yourself. That's what I want to say sometimes. I'm not the shell answer man. Go, go, go see what God tells you. But that's part of, of what you have with being a manifested son of God. So there's a death to sell. All right? I think that's enough about that. So the three, three areas that we're going to get into that in the, in the life of Jesus the man, what he did to make sure that his life began to manifest as a son of God. All right? First thing that has to happen is, if we're going to manifest, we have to do something with our minds. We're going to have to put on the mind of Christ. Jesus, the human man, had the mind of the eternal spirit Christ. Every once in a while, I kind of separate and the inseparable. And I separate Jesus from the Christ because I want you to see who you are and that you are as he is. So Jesus was the human person, the man that wore flesh. Christ was the eternal spirit. Christ is the word that became Jesus. Christ was the creative force that was with the Father from the beginning that brought all into existence that was created. Now this is going to make some of you angry. If you've been with me a long time, it's not going to make you angry. You're going to see it. But here's how the mind of Christ thinks. All right. So here's how the, we're, we're going to have to do something with our mind. We're going to, I'm elevating your, your mindful consciousness this morning. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. Philippians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6. Says this. Okay, let me start with verse 5. It says, but have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. I like that attitude. 
the New King James says mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who is Jesus. Right? The Christ who manifested is Jesus. Let this attitude be in you also. Right, we're elevating our consciousness now. Are, are you ready? Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. The New King James says, who being in the form of God did not think it robbery to be equal with God. Now, there's a, there's, this is the first nuance you're going to notice between the New King James and the New American Standard. The, the New King James and the King James also say, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, the NASB puts a little bit of a twist on it says, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. So what the NASB is saying is, it was so large that the idea of Jesus, when he thought about being God or being divinity as, a, as identity, it was, it was so big that he really couldn't get his head around it. The, the King James says he didn't think it robbery to be equal with God. Now, speaking to two dimensions here, I think the NASB is speaking to the, to the Jesus who couldn't get his head around it, or, or as it says here in, in verse 6, uh, a thing to be grasped. But the Christ part of Jesus, the Christ, the, the, the divinity part, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So you got this, 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 this two things working here that I think is totally legitimate. So what I'm, I'm trying to say to you, I'm speaking to you on two levels this morning. I'm speaking to you as a human that we can't grasp it. I mean, it's, it's huge. It's big. But the, but the Christ in you is elevating your consciousness to where you're beginning to think from the mind that does not consider it robbery to think it's equal with God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to have a, the mind of Christ? What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? What does it mean to not think of Robert to be equal with God? Does that mean that I am God? Absolutely not. Absolutely. I am not God. But what having the mind of Christ does is elevate us. Now, here's what, here's what he meant there by being equal. He means that our thoughts are in total synchronization with the thoughts of God. Our, our mind, is, it, it comes to a place where it's in sync. We see like God sees. We see through his eyes. Isn't, isn't that the life Jesus lived? Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only, I only say what I hear the Father say. Jesus is saying, I'm in sync with the Father. He and I, are, are we're running the same direction, brother. We're in this thing together, and, and we're, moving, we're moving as one. And that's exactly what he's getting at here. As, as a son that is beginning to manifest, as you do something with your mind, it has to come to a place where you... See through the eyes of God. Uh, Paul said in one place, we don't know anybody after the flesh. That's seeing like God sees. See, the, 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 the Don part sees after the flesh. I see the inconsistencies. I th see the nicks. I see the bad habits. I see the things you're doing that I don't like you to do. But the Christ in me doesn't see that. The Christ in me sees the Christ in you, right? That's seeing through the eyes of God. God is going to present you, remember when we studied Ephesians, he's going to present you holy and blameless before him in love. That's how he's going to see you. 
You're not going to be perfect. You're going to have nicks. And if God wanted to get real picky, he could pick stuff with all of us. But he doesn't look at us with those eyes. This is good. So when you start to see people, don't let them bug you anymore by what they're doing or what they're saying. Jesus didn't. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what the heck they're doing. Jesus was not looking at their actions. He was looking past the actions. He was seeing them through the eyes of the Father. So when we have the mind of Christ, we begin to do something with our mind, we're beginning to see through the eyes of the Father. So um, here's, how it begin, here's how it began to demonstrate. If we read on in verse 7 of the, 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 of the Philippians chapter 2, um, in verse, verse 7, it says, But he emptied himself. He emptied himself of himself. The, the word emptied is the word kenosis. That means he just poured it out. He poured out himself. And he took the form of a bondservant. Right? And being made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So whatever it is that Jesus encountered, he, he was able to handle it because of his, his serving attitude. You know, the more you serve people, the easier it is to get along with people. The, the, the less that people disappoint you, the less you expect of them back. When your expectation of people becomes zero, you'll never be offended again. You won't be hurt anymore. The reason we get hurt and offended is because we have expectations. We place those on people. When they don't meet our expectations, we judge them. We judge them. We're not called to judge anybody about anything. What we're called to do, two things. Remember I told you? Let them know they're in the kingdom of God now and to let them know their authentic identity. That's where the sons of God worked. That's where Jesus worked. That's where Paul worked. Paul worked tirelessly in letting the Gentiles know that it was the Christ that was in them. That was the important thing. All right, so his, his deity, the deity of Jesus, didn't, didn't steal the priority of the Father in his life. Now, we're going to see this from, from two, diff, two different angles, all right? Uh, in John chapter 14 and verse 28, but let me just stress the first point. The deity of Jesus did not stop him from seeing the rightful place of the Father in his life. In, in, John, in um, John chapter 14, I uh, went just a little bit too far. In John chapter 14, I want you to grasp both of these views of Jesus about the Father. John chapter 14 and uh, verse 28, Jesus says this. He said, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would be rejoicing because I go to the Father. Now watch the statement of Jesus. I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now he's speaking from the human point of Jesus the man. Now when he spoke from Christ within, he said the Father and I are one. So on one, on one dimension, the Father and he were one, and on another dimension, the Father was greater than him. So that's why I broke the Jesus out from the Christ, because the Jesus said, the Father is greater than me. But there, the Christ within him said, the Father and I are one. So the deity of Jesus did not steal or the, the Father from being center stage. Jesus willfully submitted to the will of the Father. So you, as you and I walk on this earth, we have the Christ within. We have deity within. Uh, 
back on our verses in Colossians, in Jesus dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I mean, that's a lot to, that, lot to have in one body. And he says in the next verse, and you're complete in him, right? So everything that Jesus had bodily, you have bodily too. So that's what's in you. But the flesh part of you, man, I hope I'm not going over your head today. Flesh part of you submits to the superiority of the Father, but the Christ within you says that you and the Father are one. Jesus said in John 14, he just said earlier in John 14, 20, before we hit that 28th verse where he said the Father's greater than me, Jesus said, in that day you'll know that I'm in the Father and that you're in me and I'm in you. So in that day, as, as we become Christ conscious, more Christ conscious, we're able to deal with the fact that there is a unity, that there is a oneness amongst the Father, the Son, the Christness, and you, right? So you have been brought in into that unity. No, neither did his humanity distract from his deity. The deity did not distract from the humanity, but neither did his humanity distract from his deity. You have got to know. I'm speaking to people, man, that are going to begin to manifest as sons of God. You have got to know that the same essence of deity that resided in Jesus, who was the Christ, resides in you as well. Let me just plant that seed again. In Jesus dwells the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. And you are complete in this one in whom the fullness of the God dwells in bodily form. There's one there. He's, he, he, Paul just brings you straight into it. He doesn't take a shortcut around it. By saying that, you then have a mind where all things are possible. If we're going to walk as the Son of God, we've got it. We have to come to a place in our thinking where we don't limit God in anything. Jesus didn't. How did Jesus the man produce five loaves and two fish to feed a multitude? How did he walk on the water? How did he quiet the storm? He had, he had a mind that did not limit the Father, didn't box God in and say, well, you know, this storm's already blown over. I wonder what the barometric pressure is and which direction the wind is from. Not, none of that entered in. He had a mind, the Christ mind, the mind of deity that made him equal with God that knew everything was possible to him. To him. Isn't that, isn't that what we see over in Mark chapter 11, verse 23? I call that the Kenneth Hagin verse. Whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that the things that he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatever he says. He shall have whatever he says. That's a demonstration of the mind of Christ right there. See, mountains come to our life. And we, because we haven't done the groundwork, we just thought we'd jump in here and, you know, confess something, say something. That's not how it works, body of Christ. Digital Cathedral, that's not, that's not what I'm bringing you to. I'm bringing you to some groundwork. I'm bringing you to some foundation. I'm bringing you to a place where, okay, we develop, we develop this mind of Christ. Grace, let me say it again, grace has brought us here. This is not something we do. This is not something by our actions we can make happen. This is what resting in him creates within us. And the more that we're able to rest into him and let him show us, reveal to us, the more we make these changes effortlessly. The mind of Christ develops effortlessly. 
then you begin to exercise it. And he'll never ask you to exercise it beyond what it's developed. So, 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 so you begin to say to, to that mountain, be removed. You know, maybe you have to start with Mohill. Maybe you have to, you know, wherever you're at, you begin, but you begin, you begin to demonstrate this. And I'm not even to, I'm not even to the demonstration part. That's going to take us to into into week, uh, way to the end of week two. I'm just developing. I'm just saying this morning that we got to do something with our mind. We've got to have a mind that sees all things as possible. How 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 does that begin to work? All right. <sighs> A mind that sees all things as possible sees the end product from the very beginning. Isn't that how God thought? When God created the earth and created men and animals and plants, he didn't just wake up one morning and say, walk out and let it fall where it may. God created everything, and I'm going to bring this into human terms, in his imagination first. He put it all together in his imagination. Have you ever put together in your imagination the moving of the mountain, what it would look like, how it might come to pass, how you would feel as the mountain began to move. That's all part of having the mind of Christ. That's all part of the development. That's all part as you rest in him and you spend a little bit of time meditating, spend a little bit of time just quiet with him and let him work inwardly in you. I mean, he'll... The spirit of truth is a surgeon, brother. He'll come in and he'll begin to tweak and cut and pull out and stitch up and sew and heal. All those things he begins to do in your life so that you can begin to see the end from the beginning. The, the, the reason God could say when he created man and looked at him and said, very good, is because he had already looked out to the end of the time he created for man. man, was, a, man time was a creation for man. God has no time. He's not set on time. But God looked out at the end of time and saw that man would be good. So God could speak it at the very beginning. I want you to begin to train yourself. If you're wanting a business, don't just say, God, help me to start uh, a men's clothing business. You need to sit down and you need to get a look at what that store is going to be. What kind of clothes you're going to stop, shop, uh, stock. What, what's the interior going to look like? What's the exterior? Do you want to be in a shopping center? Do you want to be in a mall? What, how do you want? You have to get the whole thing constructed. That's what the father did. Whole thing constructed before you ever begin to lay hold of it. All right? And as you, as you begin to lay hold of it, then begin to feel like, man, I own that store. That store is my store. That store is my store. I, I'm in possession of it. And there'll come a day that you cross that line. You know, you got that store before it ever manifests. That's, that's why it says that God calls things that are not as though they are. He sees the end from the beginning and he speaks to the end. Then he comes back to the beginning and begins to work toward the end. Are you with me? So when you get all of that pictured in your mind, then you just begin to walk back at what do I need to, to put action to? What has God showed me? What has he said to me? That will begin to put that, that into fruition. But I've already got it. I've already possessing it. See, they used to be such a mystery to me. How do you do that? Your imagination is the connector between the seen and the unseen. That was a marvelous revelation for me because in my imagination, I, I have created things that have manifested. 
And I'm, I have things in my imagination now that have not yet manifested, but they're mine. I know I already got a hold of them. They're as good as mine. I'm just waiting. Either I will be drawn to it or it will be come to me. It'll happen one of two ways. It'll either be attracted to me or I will be sent to where it is to get it. All right. So there are things that I'm not going to tell you what they are. I mean, I, I had this house we're living in, in my imagination, just about exactly before I ever possessed it. The car I drive, I had in, in my mind before I ever got it. I, I, I knew what I wanted. I knew the color. I knew the mileage. I knew all about it. When I walked into the dealership and there it was, I said, I, that's the one. And I began to work on the pricing of it, right? But I already had it. It was mine. Uh, I, I've got things in my mind. I, 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 like I said, I'm not going to share them with you. But as they begin to evolve, I want this... I want to do this so that you can feel free to begin to do it also. And I challenge you to begin to exercise it. What, what is it that you really want in life? It's God that has put that desire in you. And then God's going to begin to give you the power to work the desire out. Isn't that what it says? Is, is it Philippians 2.11? I can't remember. Is it 11 or 13? That it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We're talking about manifesting as a son of God. That's what we're really talking about. We're talking about being able to produce. It's the, it's the right now truth of today. Whether, whether you are a store manager, a salesman, uh, a restaurant, hamburger flipper, it makes no difference. God has strategically placed you in the kingdom right where you're at. If you're retired, I want to speak specifically to you people that are retired. You have time on your hands. You have availability. The main ingredient of a son is he's available. You people that have now come to a point in your life where you're not working the nine to five or the third shift at the plant, whatever, you have the time that you can be available and, and receptive to when he says, go over to that neighbor, cut his grass for him. Take that neighbor over there, that person at the corner, they're having a difficulty there. You can meet that need. And I'm going to get into that, how to manifest as a son of God in very practical ways. But this is what we're talking about. So you, you have the time. So whatever it is that you're involved in, I'm talking about manifesting. I'm talking about revealing. If you're the hamburger flipper, brother, or the waitress at a restaurant, you come in contact with more people in one day as a waitress at the restaurant than a factory worker probably is going to come to in 10 years. But factory worker, you come into a long-lasting relationship with people that the waitress is never going to have hold of. So God knows your, your temperament, your personality. He knows your abilities. So he has strategically placed us in the kingdom. And as we begin to develop this mind of Christ, which is absolutely needful to manifest, then we're going to be able to do it. Amen? Wow. I spent way too much time on this first point. So here's, what I, here's the thought I want to leave you with today. All right? This may take four weeks the way it's going. The mind of Christ thinks like this. The mind of Christ grasps that it is a son by position, but it's a servant by manifestation. Jesus knew inwardly that he was a son. He had no doubt about it. He was a son. Outwardly, he looked like a servant to all. So you and I are building that confidence through the mind of Christ that yes, we're absolutely sons. And that's gonna enable us then to serve all people without expectations. Let's practice it this week. Let's just go out into the world and be a light. Let's be salt wherever we go and just be the Jesus to them. 
and look for a place to serve this week. Look to do for somebody who can't do for you. Amen. All right, God bless you. I'll see you Wednesday night. We'll talk about this a little bit more. And then the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to pick this up on manifesting as a son of God. God bless. We'll see you next time.